So let's put our hands together a very warm welcome to Lawrence Tisdale. Thank you, Pastor. Hello, London. <laughs> My wife is watching, so in Quebec, so bonjour, chérie. That's right. <laughs> I have to say hi to her. Um, so if I make any mistakes today, it's because I've been up for 28 hours and I've had one and a half hours sleep. I got off the plane this morning, so I'll keep it rolling. We have an hour to do it. I won't get into a lot of anecdotal information, but we will have lots of fun on a topic that's not discussed very much in churches. It's unfortunate it isn't discussed very much on churches. But just to tell you what's happening next week, see, I happen to be here for two weeks to open a factory in Swindon. A recycling factory. That's what I do for a job. I'm a project manager, and we, open, uh, we build recycling factories, and there are several projects we have in the UK. And while I'm here, we plan to do a, this weekend coming up, prove that God exists. Now, what's going to happen on Saturday is we're going to discuss how to debate an evolutionist and never lose. We're going to talk about the evolution of man. Do you really come from monkeys, or you, can you just act like a monkey? Oh, uh, <laughs> You'll get used to my accent as I go along. Um, <laughs> Uh, we're going to talk about the age of the earth, radiometric dating. Is the earth billions or is it just thousands of years old? We're going to talk about race. Why are there different races? I mean, this church are 109 nationalities. Why is that? We're going to be talking, doing a workshop, and I'm going to be talking about do we, must we believe in a global flood? What's the evidence for a global flood? I mean, if, we're, if there's going to be a global flood, there's going to have to be global evidence. And so God hasn't left us just to believe by faith what's written in the Bible. There's evidence all over. That's why it says in Romans 1 that they are willingly ignorant of the evidence of his Godhead, of his power. And so we're going to look at something that I love to talk about dinosaurs. Uh, let's make sure this works here. And you notice on this, I have up here a microscope. We'll get to that. Just, we'll get to it at the end. Uh, at the back, hopefully, there's, there'll be someone back there who has... I don't have very much in English because my main ministry is in French, which is why I'm going to go to the Bible college. Your church has a Bible college that's in French, in Marseille. And since I've already been to Marseille twice, uh, we very quickly booked the three churches for the evening. So I end up doing nine conferences in three days, which is a little heavy. Uh, but So what I have in English back there are two things that you want to... And, and I have some stuff in French. If anybody's French here and they want some French materials that I'm going to take with me to Marseille, come and see me after the talk. We have... 20 DVDs in French. So I have lots of material in French. Uh, but in English, two things that I want to tell you about. This is, uh, we'll be at the back, I think it's 15 pounds or something. It's uh, two TV programs. One of them uh, is on YouTube, where you, except it's higher quality, it's from the TV show, where 600,000 people, more than 600,000 people have gone to see it. I debate an evolutionist from McGill University. I'm also from McGill on a nationwide TV program. And you'll see the evolutionist fall apart at 41 minutes, which is why it's become so popular. It's also the number one commented video in YouTube news and politics out of Canada ever. I think it's like 42,000 comments. So anyway, and the other one is uh, on the forefront of creation where I go back five years later on this same program, not doing a debate, but talking with the host, and we discuss what's going on in creation. So that's back there. I have about 20 of them. And this, I really only have a couple of. Uh, I have five of them. This is called... Uh, Dire Dragons, Untold Secrets of Planet Earth. A friend of mine, Vance Nelson, went around the world getting evidence of recent dinosaurs. I'll be talking about some of them. It's a beautifully done book here. Um, Colin Dye has I gave him one. That's why there are only five left. I had six. Uh, <laughs> they're 25 pounds. Um, everything's glossy inside. What he's done is he's taken... Uh, pendants, things that are 4,000 years old, 2,000 years old, and then he's gone to an artist who's never seen those pendants or those artifacts and said, if you were to draw a, tri if you were to draw, um, a triceratops in this kind of position, how would you draw it? This 3D artist would do it, and it looks exactly like these pendants. It looks exactly like some of the things you're going to see today. So I have five of those back there. They're 25 pounds, the first five, and then I don't have any anymore. And if you want them, what we can do is you can leave your name, and if we get enough, we'll send like a box, because the next time I'm back is probably closer to February. Okay, let's get moving, because we don't have a lot of time. Well, am I talking too fast? All right, <laughs> I'll slow down. What do dinosaurs look like? So that's the first thing. We're going to take a little overview of dinosaurs, very, very rapid, and then we're going to start. It's important because otherwise you can't understand what follows. Okay, for those who are under 16 years old, what dinosaur is this? Just shout it out. Oh, okay, go ahead. 
No. Yes. Yes. Stegosaurus, for those who are over 16 who don't remember. Uh, <laughs> now this, and you think, where's he going? This isn't the sermon that I'm used to having. Just wait to the end. I'm going to show you at the end, if you'll stay still, okay? If you stay still. Not if you stay still. I mean if you stay in your seats. I will show you at the end that God evangelized in the Bible using dinosaurs. Now, maybe then I picked your curiosity. Okay, Stegosaurus. Uh, these are paintings done in the 1940s. Keep in mind, since probably nobody here has seen a live dinosaur, what are they doing this from? They're doing this from fossils. And you've got to understand fossils, it's sort of like you've put the, the being or the beings into a washing machine and you've got whatever's left out of it, and it's all mixed up. It can take years to separate out dinosaurs one from the other. Um, you can sometimes put the wrong head on them, and it takes decades before you find out, oh, no. I mean, that's what happened to the brontosaurus. You know the Flintstones, the brontosaurus? Brontosaurus doesn't exist because they eventually found that they put the wrong head on it, and now it's an apatosaurus, and we don't really know what head that belonged to. But stegosaurus, so, so, so this is paintings, and you can see here it has a back... Oh, you can't really see my laser. It's so small on the screen. You can see the back frill on the uh, bones. And so, and you can see the pins of tail. Now, this, this creature is um, uh, about, about three and a half meters high, about uh, 10 meters long, adult, and could weigh about one and a half tons. So it would, like, fill this room up in the center at adult. And uh, the plates now... Some people used to think the plates were for protection, but actually we noticed that the, the bones are porous, which means that the blood runs through them because this is a reptile. And if you're, a, you know, tell me. Again, my questions are for under 16. Tell me, what does a snake do when the sun comes out? Someone. Hides under a rock. It's exactly what it does. But if you're one and a half tons, you probably can't find a rock to hide under if you're three meters high. Uh, so God has a, designed another system. And these are actually like very much like the radiator of your car. They cool the blood down. The creature gets cooled down. Um, many of these things we'll see on dinosaurs, there's no evolution to them. They just appear. Uh, here's a skeleton of a, of a stegosaurus. You can see it. Very small head. The brain of this creature, even though it weighs one and a half tons, the brain is the size of a walnut. Seems to have, he seemed to survive fine with the brain the size of a walnut. But some people have suggested that there was a brain in the back to control another nervous center at the back to control its tail, which makes it very complex for a primitive organism to have two brains. All right, we know they have eggs because we found nests of eggs. Now... What's interesting is the shape they're in when we find them. Let me show you something. This just came out this year. These were some eggs. These are a real picture of eggs with mummified embryos inside them. It's out of place. The, 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 the eggs in the nest are not in the right strata. They're not, they're, they're not in the right place for these dinosaurs. Okay? They're out of place sauropod nests with intact embryos. They're buried by floods. They're buried by pulsing floods. Why is he saying pulsing floods? Because... They noticed that the, the nest, dinosaurs lay one or two eggs. These are hadrosaur eggs but, or sauropod eggs, but uh, some dinosaurs lay them in twos. And they noticed they'll lay them in circles. And what, they've, what they found is they'll lay a certain number of eggs and then uh, mud will come in and cover and they'll keep laying. And you'll end up with one nest with multi-strata of rock in it. Now, that means that that strata couldn't be very old. It's not like the dinosaur waited 10,000 or 50,000 years to do the next lever of eggs. It's the same leg. So what they're saying is floods come in, pulsing. It's basically tides. And think of the uh, ocean rising uh, during the flood. Evidence of organic molecules still preserved. Oh, that's interesting. If these things are 65 billion years old, a million years old, how come they've got organic molecules that are still preserved? That's the question. Something else they notice is that when we see dinosaur footprints, and there are dinosaur footprints all over the place, when we see dinosaur footprints, they're rarely complete footprints. It's like the toes. And what they figured out is they were swimming or they were in water. And we're seeing all these footprints, and the dinosaurs are just barely touching the, the water at the bottom, they're just being the, so the sediment at the bottom, and then it's becoming fossilized, which is completely coherent with the idea of a worldwide flood. Completely coherent. 
Something we observe often, if you go to the Natural History Museum, you'll see the same thing here. You'll see the, the neck, how it bends back. That is typical of asphyxiation. In other words, it's the last gasp. It's, and that's it. Game over. Very quick. It didn't die a normal, natural death where it just got into a river and it, it died and then laid down and then over thousands of years, sediment built up over it and eventually we find a fossil. No, no, this was very, very fast fossilization. Everything's preserved and the neck is bent back and we see that often in reptiles and it's this last gasp. It's uh, because they were being asphyxiated as sediment built up very quickly. Now, skin, dinosaur skin. Three answers. What color were dinosaurs? Someone who hasn't answered yet. Yes. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. No, I asked you, pick a color. <laughs> okay, you. Green, okay. Who else? Yes. What was it? I couldn't hear. Multicolored. Sure. Yes. You've got a lot of, comp you've got a complex dinosaur there. <laughs> Stripe, polka dot, yes, final one, yes. Yellow. Is that what you said? Brown and yellow. Could be. Thing is, is with fossils, we don't see the color until this year. This year, just a few months ago, in Canada, they discovered uh, dinosaur skin that is pigmented. And they, this, is, this is what the scientists said. As we excavated the fossil, I thought we were looking at skin impression. Then I noted a piece came off, and I realized this is not ordinary. This is real skin. So how are we going to believe the skin survived 65 million years and stayed as skin? We're not talking fossils anymore. We're talking real material. Look at this. What color were dinosaurs? This is the title of the article. What color were dinosaurs? Test of ancient skin sample will reveal final answer from Nature World News. For Barbie, Barbie's the name of the scientist. How the skin sample survived since the Cretaceous period is a greater question than the color of the skin. Yes, it is. What's not clear is what happened to this dinosaur and how it died. Well, that's not true. It's very clear. It died in water. It's all in sediment. That's <laughs> not a question. There is something special about this fossil and the area where it is found, and I'm going to find out what it is. Well... We're going to get to that special aspect because more and more we're starting to find non-fossilized dinosaur uh, bones, dinosaur cells. In fact, this is human blood cells, just so you'll get these red blood cells and vessels. And this is from the knee of a T-Rex. Again, red blood cells. How do they stick around for millions of years and not fall apart? Collagen is something that holds our cells together. It's like a sticky substance. That, well, it, it, it's a fibrous substance that holds our cells together. We know it falls apart within a few thousand years. Left on its own, it disappears. And yet, there have been dinosaurs. Montana, Belgium, insects, China, New Mexico. These are the ages given to these dinosaurs up to 200 million years, and they all have collagen that's non-fossilized in them. But we know that collagen is non-existent, estimated within less than 10,000 years. So how could the collagen be, we know this, and yet we give these ages of 200 million years to collagen that is not fossilized? Here's an example. Again, a T-Rex. This is Mary Schweitzer. She started this. It's, it's been going on since 1917, but hasn't been really reported very much. But she really made it big because it was published. She cut apart. See, this is the thing. Paleontologists, people who study fossils, they like to keep the bones together because they want to build those nice skeletons that you see in uh, museums. People like Mary Schweitzer, who are histologists, that means they study cells, they like to get rid of the calcium and see what's left over. So paleontologists don't like that because then you have no more skeleton, right? <laughs> Nothing left. But she did that. And that's when she, she started finding this thing. She cut apart this T-Rex uh, femur bone because it was basically very simple. It was too heavy to ship. And she was sending it to a lab. And when she did, the inside of it looked like this. Red, had red blood cells. And it had, um, and it had collagen fibers that are there that she actually pulled 17 times. She said, it looked exactly like actual bone, but I couldn't believe it. I said to the laboratory technician, after all, these bones are 65 million years old. How could the blood cells survive so long? Very good question. See, the problem here isn't the blood cells. The problem isn't the collagen. The problem is the 65 million years. And I, this bone did not come on it 
with a little sticker saying, I'm 65 million years old. No bones do. No fossils do. There's interpretation in the years, and we'll get to the more to that. And here's some more uh, blood vessels, non-fossilized. She was greatly criticized, and they said, oh, it's biological film, and oh, she got contamination. Well, she didn't give up, so she looked at hydrosaurs, and she found soft elastic tissue, and it contained enough of the protein osteocalcin to create a biological reaction. In other words, the element is still biologically active. How old was that dinosaur? Now, here's another hydrosaurus, just the same. They go by different names, but the whole group is a hydrosaurus. What's interesting about this particular fossil is it's rare to find one that's complete. Now, the fact that we found this one complete meant that we all of a sudden found out how it really walked. Here we know it walked on all fours instead of walking up on two like we thought it was before. So that's, that's things that you'll learn as we go through because we'll look at some of these pictures and compare. Now, this is a Displatosaurus, or it's a T-Rex family. And so it's known for its great teeth, and it's known for being very popular in Spielberg films. Uh, let's focus on the teeth, because some people are worried about the fact that, Christians, that T-Rex was carnivorous. Well, I presume he wasn't carnivorous in the garden, because nothing was. But afterwards he was. He, at least he could eat meat. But was he really a carnivore? Because he has several things going against him. One thing is his little front legs are much too close to his body. Well, we'll get to that in a moment. His little front legs are back here. They can't bring anything to his mouth. The second thing, and keep the, this is big. This, is, this creature could weigh up to eight tons, okay, up to uh, 15 meters long from tail to head. Could be a very big creature. Uh, the teeth can be very long to this long. And we say, oh, those teeth, they look, they look, they look nasty teeth. Uh, but, you know, can someone tell me what that is the skull of? Now you can be over 16 to answer. <laughs> Make a guess. Don't wait too long because I only have so much time. Come on, make a guess, someone. What, what the skull of what? Pardon? Fruit? Fruit bat? Yeah, of course it is. But how did you know? Very, very few people know that. It is a fruit bat. Uh, look, at, look at the, uh, the dentition. In fact, these are the largest fruit bats in the world. They're called flying foxes, two meters long. Now, they are a fruit bat, as the gentleman said, which means they eat what? You are awake. All right. <laughs> so, yes, fruit. So they got these big teeth, but for eating fruit. Well, I think he was an omnivore. One thing we know is that teeth were growing in underneath the teeth he had all the time, sort of like sharks. So you know in that Spielberg Jurassic Park film where the T-Rex, of course, I, no one here has ever watched Jurassic Park. It's too violent. But I did just for research purposes. And... The T-Rex was coming over the Jeep that had the children in it. You remember that? And it goes crunches, and the Jeep protects the children. But if that had been a real T-Rex, he would have lost most of his teeth there, and the rest of the film, he would have gone, mom, 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 mom. It wouldn't have been much less impressive, so he got to keep his teeth for Hollywood. All right. Now, this, okay, here you see those little tiny legs. Uh, reconstruction, from the, again, from the 40s, that same artist. These are Edmontosaurs, because they were found in Edmonton. Uh, Duck-billed dinosaurs. You can see their particular duck-billed structure. Two and a half tons. Very, very impressive ducks. Uh, but anyway, and notice how they put them up on the back legs. Now, only since last 15 years do we know that they actually walked on all fours. That's because you don't know that unless you see it. Keep that in mind, because that's going to become important in a few minutes. Monoclonius, or a chasmosaur-type creature, so one horn. Uh, the dinosaur is on the right. Okay, just make that clear. <laughs> I've been a grandfather for one and a half years. I'm old enough. <laughs> uh, chasmosaur. Uh, chasmo mean, means big space because they have big spaces up at the top, probably to cool down also. You can see here they have these big holes in the top of their necks. And uh, so that's why we call it chasmosaurus. Monoclonius, one horn, and of course their cousins, the triceratops. Triceratops are as big as the stegosaurus. So we're talking, in fact, bigger. They can go two tons, two and a half tons. There's long, high. These, are very, these can be very big, uh, obviously, vegetarians. They have parrot, they're parrot beak dinosaurs. So you have all these different things. That, nothing evolves into that and evolves out of it. They just appear as they are. And here we have a skeleton of, of, one, of one of the types. They're different. Now this is uh, T. Herodes, skeleton mounted with a modern limb po poster. So you can see they've put the limbs up the way we think they walk now. 
and things change as we find out, find new things. Now, probably the last question I'll ask for response, but someone, I want three people under 60 to, to give me an idea how big this theropod is. Give me a, how big, meters or less. Give me, give me some numbers. Shout them out. 20 meters. Yes. 15 meters. A little bit lower. Yes. 20. We're up to 20. Actually, the size of this theropod is about that of a rat. It is a fallacy to think that dinosaurs are all big. That's Hollywood. In reality, the average size of a dinosaur is that of a pony. Okay, most of them are little reptiles. They're running around being nuisances. Okay? So, now the big ones are nuisances too, but you don't have very many big ones. These are the old dinosaurs that have grown and grown and grown and grown. And you get into some very big ones, of course, like this one, that can, the Brachiosaurus. Uh, these, these long sauropod-type dinosaurs can be uh, between 100 to 150 tons. Uh, they are enormous. They can get enormous, but they don't start enormous. You know, the eggs are no bigger than this. I mean, that's a big egg, but I mean, it's a lot smaller than this. And uh, so you, you have sizes. They have different names for them, brachiosaurus. They're all sauropods, but brachiosaurus, and then you have uh, the supersaurus, and then you have the seismosaurus, which is still not completely out of the cliff yet in Argentina, which is, they estimate, 150 tons. It's like a walking apartment block. So... Now, interesting about these sauropods is we, they used to draw, they drove them underwater. Now, you'll notice in Jurassic Park, they were up on land, and that's the modern way. Some people still think they should be underwater, uh, partly because, they're, um, because of their nostril. Their nostril is at the top of their head. Uh, this is if, if you were to look from the bottom up, or if you were to be right beside it. These are really, really big uh, creatures. And they, they have these nostrils at the top of their head, which maybe they are watery creatures. Who knows? Some people think they can't walk in water because be, the pressure would be too high to breathe, but we really don't know until we see a live one. There are swim, you know, marine plesiosaurs, the four fins. Some of them have, they look like this. Reminds you a little bit of well, a local one you have in Scotland. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, oh, yeah, Loch Ness. <laughs> actually, we have, uh, we have our own. We actually, we have several in Quebec. It's called Lake Champlain, only we have better pictures than you do. No one's accusing us of fraud. <laughs> All right. Uh, sh uh, um, these are these are very large creatures, over thirty meters, uh, over yeah, thirty, uh, twenty-five meters long. Um, and then you have the flying, the plesiosaurs. Uh, so that's a sort of very very high level view of dinosaurs. Now, and here's some more. Some of these are small. Some of these are no bigger than pigeons. Some of them are really big. And again, you have the the, the wings, the, the fibrous wings, and you have the crest on the head. That's very important. I'm pointing, but it's useless because you can't see the red dot. Okay, then you have some really, really bizarre ones. Like, really bizarre. <laughs> uh, of course, the color is invented, but we have some really bizarre creatures out there uh, that have been identified. And, of course, you have some that are still alive, like the Clamidosaurus that's in Australia. Very small, but it reminds us of dinosaurs with the same dinosaur-type skin, reptilian-type skin. Okay, now... Where did all the dinosaurs go is what we're going to look at next, right? Um, this one, by the way, is a candidate. It's supposed to be the candidate for flight. This dinosaur is what's supposed to have evolved into birds. Now, do you see a difference between a bird and this dinosaur? Just a bit of difference, a little bit? A little bit. You know, most birds, they fly, right? And they, to fly, they need what? Wings. wings. And on the wings, they have feathers. Helps a lot. This one, if it jumps off a cliff, it's going one way. Down. <laughs> and no matter how much it wants to, it's not going to evolve feathers. And we don't have time to get into the whole feather. They say they've got all these dinosaurs with feathers on them. Now, they've got birds with feathers, and they've got dinosaurs with fibrous substances on them, but we don't have time to get into that. All right, this is really why they disappeared. I just wanted to make sure all you young people, this is why dinosaurs disappeared. It's a very bad habit started very early. And so, if you don't want to become extinct, beware. All right. <laughs> All right, so let's look at the question of did, did man live with dinosaurs and do dinosaurs live today, humans and dinosaurs? First of all, the question is, where are all the humans and dinosaurs? Well, there are some. They're not talking too much about them, but there are some. Here are 10 human fossils, Homo sapiens, sapiens fossils, found at a level that's 140 million years old, predates many dinosaurs um, in the U.S. 
well-documented, and uh, no one just talks about it very much, but they're there. Uh, here's a human footprint that's along with dinosaur footprints. It's uh, called a problematica. There's some cougar footprints nearby also, and that's Dr. Don Patton. Uh, let's do some bit of history. Alexander the Great reported that when he conquered India 326 before Jesus Christ, his soldiers were scared by dragons and lived in caves. Now, the word dinosaur, you have the privilege here of being the country where the name dinosaur was created. It was created by a Christian named Richard Owen. He was the top anatomist of his time. He was a contemporary to Darwin. In fact, he was a friend of Darwin. When Darwin came back with a whole bunch of species uh, of creatures from his world tour, Galapagos Islands, etc., he couldn't name them all. He couldn't identify them all. And because Richard Owen was one of the best anatomists, many of the species were given to Richard Owen. So they knew each other, and they disagreed, clearly disagreed, on the implications of his theory, seeing as Richard Owen was a strong Christian, evangelical Christian. And he's the one that named dinosaur. So you won't see dinosaur, the word dinosaur in the Bible, because the Bible was translated around the 1500s, right, into the Old English. You're not going to see that word. That word was created in 1840. But you'll see words like dragons, and we're going to see some other words around the world. They used to call them dragons. There were dragons in the air, there were dragons on the ground, and there were dragons in the water. All three types. So he says they were there. Uh, here's a mosaic in Palestrina uh, of a crocodile leopard, they call it. But we would call it just a dinosaur, like a Barabbas. Uh, often we see this in Roman mosaics. This is not the only one. There are several of them. And there's even one in England. Same sort of thing on a, on a church in Carlisle, where, which dates from around the 1100s, where you see these creatures with their necks intertwined like that and their sauropod-type shapes, 2nd century AD. Uh, Remphorhynchus, this doesn't come out very clear on this slide, but these are flying dinosaurs, uh, flying reptiles, uh, pterosaurs. And we're going to talk about where we see some of these. This is from Egypt. It's the seal of an Egyptian pharaoh. And on this seal, you'll see three creatures, or you can make out three creatures. Up at the right is an ibis. Up down here is an antelope. And this is a flying serpent with a particular tail. We call a tail bane. There are five types of bane. They, they fossilize very rarely, but these are one of the types. These are flying serpents. Now, interestingly enough, Josephus, who is a historian, Jewish historian, talks about this legend or his history that when, uh, before Moses had left the, Egyptian, the uh, Israelites out of Egypt, that Moses was a, the head of the Egyptian army, uh, being the son of Pharaoh, and that when they were on some of their campaigns, they would be attacked by these ibises, these birds, and they would bring these flying serpents in um, baskets, and they would open them up, and the flying serpents would go up and, and catch them, uh, eat, attack them, bite them. And this isn't the only place where we see that. This is a, a, Middle, a Middle Eastern map from the Middle Ages, earlier Middle Ages. And you can see here things that you recognize, an elephant, crocodile, a camel. Oh, and look at that in the middle. Looks like a, we would know it as a dragon with folded wings, red and green. Uh, in France, you have this dragon of St. Radagon. This was caught in the Alps, and they, uh, they, they stuffed it. And then after 100 years, it broke down, so they made a, uh, a wood cutting of it. And here we have, it's called the Grand Goule, which means the big mouth. And uh, in fact, there is a book from the 1600s in the Alps, which says that they had these flying serpents that had, were the thickness of an arm. And if they were to attack you because they were very venomous, you would play dead. And they would leave you alone if you were lucky, I guess. And this was documented as something normal in the Alps. Uh, in, if we go to Africa, you have in the, the Kongamatu... In the, um, uh, in the Congo, the sa exact same creature is called the Batamzinga in Kenya. So that's the other side of Africa. And there are these not very big reptiles, flying reptiles, and they attack the fish. And you see this was a person that had, from Kenya who'd actually seen this, this creature, and, and this is known to some of the pygmies. Here, if we jump out just for a second to go, go to the U.S., we have an Anastasi prayer stick. And again, look at the head. That's clearly, and this is very recent. These are things that are within the last couple of thousand years. Here, in, they have what they call dinoglyphs. These are drawings of dinosaurs that the American Indians have done all the way from Arizona to Lake of the Woods in Ontario. And here's something that's interesting. We're going to take a closer look at it because it's this up here. So if we were to compare it to a Quetzalcoatlus, Quetzalcoatlus is the largest uh, flying pterosaur that we know of. Uh, it has a wingspan of up to 
uh, six meters. No, way, way, way more than that. Uh, I got a, 15 meters. So it's like a, a plane, a fighter jet. So big. In fact, it is where we get the legend of the Thunderbird from, on the west coast of the Americas. And you can look at the neck, and you can see the head. It, this, is, this is our modern reconstruction from fossils. This is how they drew it. They even drew, whoops, they even drew the uh, compressions of air, used the, the 3D formation of the rock to show how it would feel like if you were under this thing and it was flying over you and hovering, and hopefully you're not dinner. Uh, in Alabama, they have the, in Moundville, they have the flying serpent. It comes from the 1300s. They draw it this way. It's on uh, pottery. It's a well-known uh, creature that they talked about in those years. Uh, I, again, in the U.S., on the, on the canyon, we have the, the uh, sauropod that you see here that's on the cave. Now, what's interesting is they're drawing these. Th this one's sort of interesting because this is a very recent one. It's only uh, about 1,000 years old. And so you have creatures that are normal, and then you have this creature. Now, what is this? This is, you know, this is not Dr. Zeus. Okay, it looks like a picture out of Dr. Zeus, you know, children's books. It's not that. This is a thousand years ago. So what is this? Well, it looks strangely like that, a parasaurolophus. And so it looks strange like that. But you notice that it shows stripes. You don't see any stripes there, really. And so creationists took a look at that and said, you know what? I bet those American Indians, they saw it. And that's why they put stripes on it, because you can't tell from a fossil whether something has stripes or not. Okay? Well, this is what we said. This is how they used to draw them, no stripes. We said there were stripes. Dr. Dennis Swift said there were stripes. And this was the response he got in July 2007. Stephen Myers, another paleontologist, said that no dinosaur could have stripes like a zebra. An Indian could not have seen a living dinosaur because he would not have put stripes in the drawing. Dr. Swift is a nice creationist, but ignorant. I happen to know Dr. Swift. He has, he has three doctorates. Not that ignorant. We should leave research concerning dinosaurs to us, the experts. That's July 2007. Let's jump ahead six months. National Geographic. Mummified dinosaur. A scanner has shown that the fossilized skin of the dinosaur had stripes like a zebra on its tail and probably on all of its body. So suddenly the ignorant creationist, six months later has predicted the right thing. Why? Because he believed that the Indians actually saw it. Otherwise, they wouldn't have drawn it. Mexico, Acambero. We have these figurines that they find in graves, uh, amongst other types. And there are these different dinosaur figurines. Like, this is the ichthyosaur. Now, the ichthyosaur, see, they used to draw it up. They draw it walking on all fours. We know it walks on all fours. Flat head, flat head. Uh, this would be like a sauropod in a fighting position. This comes from a, not a creationist book at all. This is Robert Carroll. Two males fighting, and they show the same thing. These are from uh, about 1,200 <coughs> years ago. Uh, the Ankylosaurus. And here again we see a, a creature that resembles the Ankylosaurus. Uh, if we go to Ica, Peru, yesterday, uh, this morning, the person who met me out in the uh, lot was from Peru, and I said, oh, I'm going to talk about a bit about Peru in this talk. I'm going to hit a lot of nationalities. You've probably got one from every single one I'm giving. <laughs> All right. So Dr. Cabrera... He has about 14,000. He's dead now, but he just died not long, a couple of years ago. But he had 14,000 of these uh, rocks called Ica stones. And on some of these Ica stones, we see these creatures that are very much look like dinosaurs. I mean, look at these creatures. These are long-necked dinosaurs. You can see them. Now, what's interesting is they put a frill on the back. Now, that is interesting because you won't buy a sauropod in the store that has a frill on it. But they drew it. That's, Dr. Dennis. That's the ignorant creationist who was right six months later. Um, he's also the specialist on Ica stones. You can see a triceratops here. Uh, there are many different creatures on this one, a stegosaurus, triceratops, long-necked dinosaur, even swimming. Uh, this one I always found very interesting, very novel. Could you actually mount one of these things? Uh, interesting. Um, here you see more. They definitely mounted the triceratops. And uh, here you have, um, on the, over on the right here, you have uh, an Inca Indian who's in a very bad position between two T-Rexes who are about to, I think, eat him. So here's you have another one, long-necked dinosaur. So again, more evidence of recent dinosaurs. Now they're starting to put these frills on, on T-Rexes and dinosaurs, which makes sense because a lot of reptiles, like Komodo dragon, do have frills on them. So why not large dinosaurs? Just makes sense. But you'd have to see it to know it. But we're not supposed to see things that have disappeared 65 million years ago, are we? Okay, Nazca, Peru... 
Oh, I don't have... Yeah, there are some vases, vases that are very interesting. Whoop. What's happening here? There we go. Okay. And uh, so you can see these vases, and you can see this one. This clearly... Uh, so again, we're looking at recent, within the last... Uh, well, this one will be 1,100 years, maybe, maybe 1,500 years ago, and these are creatures that they, they lived with. Uh, human fossil footprints, a little bit all over the world. We have human fossil footprints. I don't have time to get into it because of our, our extreme compression of time. This, this, well, not extreme, but our compression. Just let you know that the idea that we don't find humans. In fact, Ian Juby, a good friend of mine who's given talks for years, asked a curator at a, at a well-known museum, why don't we see so many human fossils? He said, that's not true. He said, they're in our basement. We have 30,000 of them. 30,000 hominid fossils, but they're not being documented, not being talked about. They show up in the wrong places. Even here in London, in your Natural History Museum, in the basement, there's a fossil called the Guadeloupe Lady. The Guadeloupe Lady was on display for tens of years. Only trouble is, she's in a strata that, for an evolutionist, would be 36 million years old. That's a problem, because there aren't supposed to be any humans, even monkeys, really, 36 million years ago. Okay, so what do they do? They put it in the basement because it doesn't match the paradigm. It doesn't match, you know, your pastor, Pastor Colin, talked this morning about how it was a belief system. So you're going to force everything into your belief system, right? And, and the problem, I'll get to some problems. It creates some really bizarre situations when you do that. Okay, Grendel is a word we see often throughout Europe associated with this type of creature. Uh, large, large mouth, teeth, small arms, eats sheep, cows, Real nuisance, and they're called Grendels, and you'll see some towns are called Grendel, Grendel. In fact, in the middle of the Swiss Alps, you have the forest, it's called Grindelwald, which is the forest of Grendels. And these creatures are little T-Rexes, or the T-Rex family, at least according to the description they give. Uh, jumping over a little bit over east, now we're in Cambodia. Here we have in this temple built in 1186, Tapram, we have these columns where they have different creatures on them that are well known, except for this one, who looks like the one we started out with today, the Stegosaurus. So again, we're going all over the world. Now we're going to jump back to Africa because there's a lot of work going on in, in the Congo and in the Cameroon concerning living dinosaurs. Now this has been going on for a long time. This is in a Newspaper article, 1910, of course, they called it a brontosaurus because they didn't know about the head situation yet. So a brontosaurus, a long-necked long dinosaur, they talk about it. From a, is it from a living dinosaur? They, 1948, could there be dinosaurs again? These are pygmies that have said they've all seen the Makeli Mbembe. And the Makeli Mbembe means he who stops rivers. It's up to, yeah, they have it up to um, uh, 10 meters long. In the Cameroon, it's interesting because it's 25 meters long in the Cameroon. Uh, the same creature, Makeli Mbembe. This is Dr. Bill Gibbons. He used to be at British SAS, um, and he uh, actually got saved searching for dinosaurs from a missionary over in the Congo on one of his trips over there. He was taking medicine over, and he ended up getting saved over there. And since then, he's gone back eight times. He's been on BBC's Mystery Creatures, and he's done some programs for them. Um, and so he keeps going back because he's building up more and more situation of the Makeli and Bembe and where it is, how it lives. These people say, they've, these pygmies say they've seen it. In 1959, a group of pygmies killed one and ate it. And apparently, uh, 24 out of the 26 about died from the meal. I don't know, they didn't cook it properly or seeing as we haven't had dinosaur steaks for a while. Um, <laughs> and it be, it, it, so, it, so it's considered a curse in the Congo, if you're with the pygmies, to actually lay your eyes on a Makeli Mbembe. But in the Cameroon, they don't have the same story, so now we're doing much more research in the Cameroon than in the Congo. Uh, this is the cave it lives in. There's a book out called uh, Living Dinosaur by Dr. Roy McCall, who's a professor from the University of Chicago. And uh, so he considers living dinosaur. See, the issue isn't that a living dinosaur destroys the theory of evolution. Not at all. If you walk into the Natural History Museum here, after you get by the altar to Darwin, where you have to give your, you know, bow down three times and this kind of thing. Okay, after you do that, right on the, the first thing that happens on the left, you'll see a big fish called the coelacanth. Now, the coelacanth, it's, I find it very ironic they put it right there because it's a massive problem for evolution. 
because the coelacanth is supposed to be a fish. It was supposed to be a transitional form, fish to amphibians, right? It's supposed to be walking. Then they found a live one. It's supposed to have disappeared 90 million years ago, but then they found it in 1938 on a boat. Hmm. Now they needed to find it live. When they finally did find it live, and you can actually go on the web, dinofish.com, you can look at webcams, there are two species. When they found it alive, they found out it lives at 300 meters below the surface. Not a great candidate for a transitional form. Those fins weren't legs, they're fins. And it, it dances on its nose and reads the electromagnetic field of the Earth. Very advanced creature. And the, the big issue with the coelacanth is this, thinking from an evolutionary perspective. It leaves fossils for 300 million years, leaves nothing for 90 million years, but still alive. How do you do that? How do you leave fossils for 300 million years and then you leave nothing for 90 million years? Other things have been leaving fossils for the last 90 million years, but not the coelacanth. That's not coherent. That's what happens when you're stuck in a paradigm and you're trying to make everything fit into that paradigm. But that doesn't make any sense. So dinosaurs don't kill. It's just it's a marketing thing. They've marketed so much that dinosaurs disappeared 65 million years ago that it becomes a marketing issue to find out that dinosaurs are alive today. Makale and Bembe. There's a Mahamba, a giant crocodile. There's a other stuff. There's a Melantuga, which is like a monoclonius, a chasmosaur. And you have the Mbulu, Mbulu, Mbulu. Very rare. This is, the other ones are already rare. This is extremely rare. The stegosaurus lives in swamps. That's how the pygmies draw them. They, they draw them. They say, this is what they look like. You take a book to them. You show them all these different creatures, a polar bear. You show them all different creatures. They say, no, we don't have the moose. We don't have the bear. Oh, yeah, we have that long-necked dinosaur. You do? Yeah, yeah. You say, Except you forgot to put the back frill on it. Oh. Oh, okay. And here we have the Batamzinga, where they go and attack. They, they want to get the fish. They want to get the, the rotten... Uh, any flesh is rotten. So let's go back to Mary Schweitzer as we get towards the end. Uh, now, you remember this story with the blood cells and everything? Well, this is interesting. This has just come out, and this is why we have the microscope here, because I'm going to show you this in a moment. I'm the, one of the only people. In fact, you'll be the first people ever in Britain to see this, ever, what I'm going to show you. This does not exist anywhere else except in California, and I have a copy from my friend Mark Armitage. Now, Mark Armitage published in Acta Histochemica this year in January. He published soft sheets of fibrillar bone from a fossil of superorbital horn of the dinosaur Triceratops horridus. Okay, sounds really complicated. He's basically saying, I found non-fossilized cells in the bone of a Triceratops. Non-fossilized. Now, what's interesting, why did he look at bone? Because you can't, call, you can't say that there's been contamination with bone cells. They don't move. Blood, you can contaminate. But, you know, even if a bird gets, dies right beside a dinosaur, the bone cells are not going to migrate. So if you've got looking at bone cells, you're looking at the real creature's bone cells. And that's what I've got here. Now, I call it unfossilized bone cells in triceratops horn, or this is the other title that we should talk about. A method by which to quickly lose your job and career at Cal State University. Because no sooner did he publish this than three weeks later, he was terminated. The only reason, he, he ran a $10 million laboratory, one of the top laboratories. They had to rebuild it after the earthquake. And so they had one of the top microscope laboratories in California, or the top. He was the top uh, manager. He trained everybody's teachers to students. He was, he's the expert in his field. And he just published, not once, but twice. I'll show you a second article. Now, when you publish, it's like you want people to publish on your staff. You want that in universities. And he gets terminated three weeks for one and only one reason. Because the significance of what got published is that dinosaurs did not disappear 65 million years ago. So this is, what, and just so, this is what's in his article. Now we're going to take a look at these, the top one, number eight. I'm going to show you that on the microscope in just a few seconds. Uh, unfossilized bone cells and triceratop horns. Uh, you can see more here. Now, in, in bones, you have three types of cells. I'm not going to go through all the details, but you have cells that are osteoblasts that build the cells, and then you have osteocytes that uh, take osteocytes that take it apart. So you have like these two types of cells that are one's building bone and the other is taking apart bone. Okay? And every seven years, your whole skeleton changes. God's amazing. Without you actually losing any pieces, it just redoes itself, which is why it's so important to do exercise and to jump, especially as you're getting older, to jump on your heels 
I'm worried about that. But to jump up and down on your heels, like, you know, when worship's going on once a week on Sunday, you could, like, because you don't have a lot of room there, but you could jump up and down on your heels, and it wouldn't, no one would get too embarrassed. You should see the guys jumping up here. But, uh, <laughs> but it's good because the shock forces those bone cells to respond, and then they start building bone. So instead of getting osteoporosis, you start building back the bone. Because after 35 years old, you start losing bone. Anyway, I'm getting, I digress. So, Lots of things to talk about, not enough time, but God's made a marvelous machine, and we'll talk more about that next week. Um, so these are blood cells, right? Again, remember Mary Schweitzer found blood cells. These blood cells are not fossilized. He can pull them. Now, the bone is, the, the, the rib that they took this from and from the, the, the horn is fossilized, but it's not all fossilized. So like when you cut it up or you get rid of the calcium, you find out there's all kinds of things that aren't fossilized, including these osteocytes. Now, these are uh, filopodial processes because they reach out. You can see, and this is going to be what's, what's going to be important. You can see the little arms that go out. Okay, but they actually go through the, in 3D, and we'll take a look at that in a moment. Okay, he also published an American library, December 2012. This is what we're going to see because we only have a light microscope. Uh, and it looks, look, they look something like this. And so again, you have these three. These are great pictures. He's, he's a master at, uh, at doing this. Uh, where am I on this? What's the next one? Yeah, okay. So there's another one you can see there. So let's uh, try this right now. And I'll just skip over. Give me one second. If you're interested. Are you interested? You want to see that? Okay. It seems to be a consensus. <laughs> okay, let's see if I can get it. I just got to get it. We'll just... So look right... Um, down here, it's pixelated because the screen's so big. You see this? I'm going to go up and down, and you'll see the fibrous creatures. Now, these are, this is an unfossilized osteocyte. So it's unfossilized triceratops fossil. And you can see as we go up and down, it has those little... There's probably others if I went to other sections. I wonder if I brought it up a bit, if I could even get it more clear. It's about as high as it'll go. So there you go. So it's very pixelated, but you get the idea from the pictures we saw before. This is one of them. I have several slides, and you are now the only people to have seen that. You're the first people to have seen that in Britain, ever, live. So there you go. Special, eh? First for KT Church. Non-fossilized dinosaur bones. Don't tell me that's 65 million years old. Don't tell me that. That's a non-fossilized That's a cell. Bone cell. All right. Let's get to the next one. Oh, I'm still... I'm on the wrong side. Hold on one second while I get back to where we were. Did that work? Yeah. All right. I'm going backwards or forwards here. Oh, these are other, other aspects. Well, again, you see it here. This was a scanning electromicroscopy, and you can see it in much more detailed form. Thing is, these are so thin, they can't fossilize. It's impossible. It's, so, it's like it's 20 nanometers. These are so thin that this has to be real, real tissue. So this triceratops, and he's out, in the de he's out in the cliffs in Texas. Nothing special, no special conditions. It was just poking out of the cliff, and they took it out and non-fossilized. And he's predicting, Mark is, that we're going to find more and more of this non-fossilized. Like, remember that skin at the very beginning? The skin wasn't fossilized. We're going to find, now that they're starting to look for it, the problems are the implications, of course. Okay, dinosaurs in the Bible. Are there dinosaurs in the Bible? Well... There are several, but we're going to go to Job. Job chapter 40. Now, if you remember Job, the, we, we remember Job, we say, talk about his suffering. But we, he was first, he was a man that was very, had a lot of integrity, and he, he, he was very worried about his kids, and he used to sacrifice for them, try to get to cover their sins. And, and then Satan came and made a deal, uh, made a, not a bet with God, saying, if I, if I take away the, his goods, he's not going to keep on worshiping you, and I'll get him to... to uh, to deny you as God. And they took away his goods. He lost his kids. He lost his army. He lost his money. And then, but he still didn't deny God. And then Satan comes back and says, yeah, but if I took away his health, then he will. And that became a real big issue because he got really, really, really sick. And it goes through a story and his friends come and commiserate with him and then, then they give him some bad advice and one of them gives him good advice and then God picks up. And what we're looking at is the end of the argument where God is trying to show God. God is showing Job I'm God, and you're Job. You know, today the sermon was on the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, you guys didn't get that, I guess, because that would be the number fourth one that I'm 
Colin, Pastor Colin let me take a place of. But anyway, today they were talking on the, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, how Jesus is Lord and Savior. And so God is trying to establish in Job's mind his position. And you see, when you understand God's position, then you can have faith in God's ability to meet your needs, in God's ability to heal the sick, in God's ability to set people free. You know, we, we sometimes bring God down into our image, but he creates things that are much bigger than our image could ever imagine. And so, as he gets to the end of this argument, he's talking to Job about all kinds of things. He finishes with these two creatures. So like any good lawyer, you're going to build your argument, right? You're going to build, you get good examples, better, better. And then It's like the six days of creation, right? All oh, every day is good, except for the second day. Every day is good, and then very good, right? You get this build-up. Well, you get this build-up here, and this is the creature. Behold now the behemoth. Now, this is the amplified version. It says the hippopotamus in brackets. The Hebrew word is behemoth, which I created as I did you. He eats grass like an ox. Okay, but is this really a hippopotamus? Let's, let's, let's look at this. See now his strength is in his loins and his power is in the sinews of his belly. Big, strong belly. Uh, actually, has other meanings. Now, an elephant, it's sometimes translated elephant. Elephant has a big belly. He has a big belly, maybe. Uh, he has a really big belly. So why would I consider a sauropod? We'll get to it in a second. He has a big belly, but I sort of dis <laughs> I discount it this way. <laughs> you just fit in the categories of big bellies. Okay. Um, let's continue the behemoth. He moves his tail like a cedar. Bones are like bars of iron. He moves his tail like a cedar tree. His tail is like a cedar tree. Indeed, the river may rage, yet he is not disturbed. He is confident, though the Jordan gushes into his mouth. The river Jordan, this is a contemporary of Job, river Jordan in Israel, this creature sits in the river and drinks up the whole river. Now, have you ever seen a hippopotamus do that? No. Elephant? No. And, and this tail is a big deal. Look at the tail of an elephant. Sorry, it's a bit rude of a picture, the back end of an elephant. But that is not a cedar tree. And that sure isn't a cedar tree, is it? So we've got to be talking about a different creature here. Now that, a 70-ton diplodocus that uh, our friend uh, Colin, Pastor Colin seems to like diplodocuses, and so I got one. <laughs> uh, 70 ton on the River Jordan. He could drink up the River Jordan. Interesting enough, the idea of saying this creature could drink up the Jordan is very much the same as saying he could stop the river, isn't it? And the Makalian Bembe creature, sauropod, is called... He who stops rivers. It's like they have the same name. Now this creature, God says to uh, Job, he is the chief of the ways of God. He is the best example I have of my creation. Wow. God's using a dinosaur to talk about the best of his creation on earth. Now, let's keep going because it's not the only one. Then there's another one, the final one. He talks about the Leviathan. Now Leviathan is sometimes being translated alligator which actually is the absolute worst translation possible. Because what's, this is a, a question-answer. Because when God's saying, can you draw the Leviathan out with a hook or snare his tongue with a line which you lower? Can you put a reed through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Job is supposed to say, no, I can't, right? Because God's saying, look what I can do that you can't, right? But here he's, the problem is, that's how you hunt alligators if you're back in Egypt, in Israel. That's how you hunt them. So Job would be saying, yes, yes, I can do that, I can do that but you're supposed to be saying no. The Leviathan, what is it? Well, let's look at the description. Lay your hand on him, remember the battle, never do it again. That's pretty clear. <laughs> Indeed, any hope of overcoming him is false. Shall one not be overwhelmed at the sight of him? No one is so fierce that he would dare stir him up. Who then is able to stand against me? Which is the point. We're not finished. Change. Who can open the doors of his face, that's his jaws, with his terrible teeth all around? We don't know very many creatures that are on land that have doors. Now, maybe he was in the water, but that have door, jaws as big as doors. Now, the T-Rex did. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe something else. His rows of scales are his pride, shut up tightly as with a seal. Maybe he's something like this, but even bigger. Now, it gets even weirder. His sneezings flash forth light. And his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go burning lights. Sparks of fire shoot out. 
Smoke goes out of his nostrils, and as from a boiling pot and burning rushes, his breath kindles coals. You can't, like, take gum and get rid of that. Right? <laughs> this is not bad breath. This is hot breath. <laughs> and a flame goes out of his mouth. Job 41, 18, 21. This Leviathan not only has teeth, a mouth as big as a door, teeth. He's a flamethrower. God would not be using a mythical creature so that Job could understand him. That wouldn't make any sense. Job has to be familiar with this creature. You'll never battle. You'll, you go to battle him, you'll never come back. Game over. This is, this is very much like a, a dragon. You know, something like this, but this is a much smaller scale situation. Um, interesting, we have some very bizarre uh, creatures that have come up that have actually been the result that we actually reduced the number of dinosaurs from 300 species to 150 because of this finding. They found out they were reclassifying immature dinosaurs as different species. But very bizarre creatures. And could they draw fire? I don't know. But I do know we have one creature. Maybe it's a similar system. I'll explain why. Just a speculation. Uh, Bombardier beetle is a very interesting beetle. It's about a couple inches long in Mexico. Three gases, hydroquinone, hydrogen peroxide, mixed together in this third sac where an enzyme in three seconds makes it explosive. Out the back it has two little cannons. Out the back of its rear end. has two little cannons that it can aim. And when it comes out, if you put a paper in front of it, it, it flames. It, it, starts, it lights on fire. It's like a little lighter, God's version. And... <laughs> It's sort of interesting because evolutionary-wise, this is a real, I, I think it's a conundrum because you can't like have trial and error, right? These things get scared, the mixture starts happening, it better get out of them or they will explode themselves, right? So those cannons have to work the first time, right? So you have to have everything working at the same time. Now, is there something similar in dinosaurs? Maybe. In the hadrosaur we have here, they have, and I'll show it just as, we notice that there are canals uh, going up to above their head and then coming out the noses, and they're separated. Are we looking at the same thing as a bombardier beetle? I don't know. It's speculation. But all we know is that the Bible talks about this creature, the Leviathan, that could throw flames. Wow. Now, what was Job's response to this? And what's his response to this? Well, let's read it. Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no thought can be hidden from you. Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. In other words, Job's sort of justifying himself in front of God, and God's saying, look, I created the heavens, I created the earth, I created the mountains, I, I mean, I, I created the environment for the mountains, I created these animals, and I created the behemoth, I created these dinosaurs that you're familiar with, and Job's reaction is a very healthy reaction, one we should all have. He says, yeah, you can do everything. That's the beginning of your success. When you start walking in the knowledge and the revelation that God can do everything, your life will be a success. And that no thought can be hidden from God. He said, therefore, I spoke too much. It's good to ask God questions and listen to the answers, not give the answers to God because he gives us better answers back. Two things. One, two. Now, now, now look at what happens after this. Job 42, 1-6. He says this. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Oh, where did he see God in the works that he did? He saw it in the dinosaur. He saw the power. It's like if you see a painting done by a great a Manet or, or Rembrandt or whatever, you see a painting, you can see the intelligence and the power in that creating. You can see the talent in there. We should have the same reaction when we look at the creation. And here's what Job did. He said, therefore I abhor myself and, uh, let's say this out loud, it says, repent in dust and ashes. Did God evangelize Job using dinosaurs? Repentance is evangelism. God's the first one to use dinosaurs for evangelism. <laughs> he used other things, but he used dinosaurs. And his response was to repent. And you see, that is the healthy, humble response when we look at the creation that's around us. When we consider the complexity, something we're going to talk about in much more detail next Friday and, and Saturday during the, the seminar, and we go more detailed into our genetic code, into cells, and we look at the cosmos. We look at all the big, and then we're going to go into really small... It brings us to the realization, wow, we have a very big God.
And when we can understand, we're going to have two responses. We're going to say, we're going to say, stop it. And we're going to say, do it. For those who heard this sermon this morning, we're going to say, put away the things that are keeping me from knowing this big God. I'm going to repent. I, I'm, I, I'm not worthy. And I'm going to do what God asked me to do. Because Job didn't stay like that. He started walking in that knowledge. And he got everything back, except the children, of course, that had died. But he got more children back. He got new children. Didn't, couldn't replace the old one, but he got new children. And so I'm going to finish with this. Maybe the musicians... Well, yeah, musicians, you're, you're somewhere around here. By the way, because of... This is Bruce's fault, but next Sunday... I'll blame it on Bruce. Uh, I, I actually brought my trumpets over from Canada. And Bruce asked me... I'm a trumpet player, jazz trumpet player. And so... Um, Bruce said, could you bring your trumpets? And so I, have, I actually brought, for the first time I've ever had three suitcases on a plane. People kept asking me, who else, is, who else is flying with you? Anyway, and one of them is just for the trumpets. So, so if you want to hear some trumpets, you come and I don't know when we're going to be playing them Sunday, or, or I don't think it's all the services. But anyway, I also talk on Sunday on the event at the f- 5 o'clock service on how to evangelize in the 21st century. How to use the, what, creation to reach your nation. I've had the opportunity of leading more than 8,000 people to the Lord. I know it works. I know it works. Well, if a hand goes to anybody, it's to the Lord, because I can tell you I'm not a natural at bringing people to the Lord. Really not. It's just God. I'm always amazed when someone accepts the Lord. Revelations 4.11. Now, this is the Garden of Eden. Changes a little bit of your view now in the Garden of Eden. Because the dinosaurs were created day five, day six. So, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor, and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are, and were created. Praise his name. 